Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. And welcome to a beautiful, sunny February 24th, 2021. I'm Lynn Cullen, going to spend the next uh, hour or so with you. Uh talking about news and uh, stuff. Well, the big shocking news yesterday that knocked all the other news off for uh, most of the afternoon was, of course, the the horrible uh, car accident uh, with uh, Tiger Woods at the wheel. And uh, I, I was home and I turned on the television and was really simply astounded that CNN, that's who I turned on, literally dropped absolutely everything else happening in the world, in the country, even around the corner, uh, and focused solely on this car accident. And I thought to myself, okay, I get it. He's a celebrity, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, but surely, surely they're going to uh, get back to telling us about some of these uh, pretty important hearings going on on uh, Capitol Hill and uh, a lot of uh, other news uh, regarding vaccines and uh, COVID and not to mention, uh, you know, just a million other important stuff going on. And I turned it off in disgust because they literally, as far as I could tell, decided to do absolutely nothing else. So they do what they do. This is what we talked uh, a few weeks ago about how this is Jeff Zucker, the mastermind who frankly gave us President Donald Trump uh, as well and gave us reality television and uh, and gave us this uh, iteration of so-called news on CNN, which is to create one big story. So if you'll recall, you used to be able, and as I guess some time ago now, 10 years ago maybe, If you wanted a general news of the nation and the world, you tuned to CNN and you got it because you know they actually covered the world and covered the nation. And so you would get that news. Well, that's long gone, as we know. And so for the last four, even five years, it's been Trump TV. And um, anything that allows them to attract your eyeballs and hold them is what they sit on. And I'm just, media's power to uh, hold our attention when our attention is one of the most important things we possess. We supposedly have the power to decide what will be the thing that takes our time, our precious time, our attention. And many of us, I think long ago, seeded what is our own power to do that over to television, whatever, you name whatever it is that you've surrendered to, the internet. Um, and I, I don't know. It got me into a real mood uh, yesterday. And I thought, I turned it off later. I think it was around 8 o'clock last night. I turned it on again to, and thought, surely they're not still. Because... What was apparent was they knew very little, right? There was no news other than Tiger Woods was in a horrific 
car crash. He was injured severely. Uh, we, we were told uh, he's in surgery. It appears not to be life-threatening. And, and that's what we knew, okay? And throughout the day, no more information became available. So with that little bit of news, they did what they've always done. They engaged in speculation. They took that little, that little bit of information and started riffing on it. They invited other reporters who had covered him, the last guy who played a little round of golf with him. They, they talked to doctors. And what do you think would be going? The, the, the woman they often have on talking about coronavirus and Sanjay Gupta, who they have on talking about coronavirus. They were on talking about what would have happened when they took Tiger to the hospital? How would they immediately have assessed him? What are the possibilities of what could be wrong? And this is news. I'm just saying, I, this, is, this is the journalism student. The, I got a degree in journalism back when I think it used to mean something. And there was a sense of the uh, responsibility that journalists have to tell people not what they want to know, not engage in gossip, but what they need to know to be good citizens. And of course, the Jeff Suckers of the world decided long ago, well, that's boring. <laughs> that ain't going to make us the money. We are in business to attract. And so we have what now passes for news. This obsess obsessive uh, view of one story at a time, taking this just the measliest bit of information and weaving it into fantasies and stories and what ifs and do you suppose and oh my. It's as if he died and we were doing obituaries all day. Okay, that's my rant. That's my rant. And now in regard to why uh, they decided that this was big enough to knock a global pandemic and an effort by the United States Congress to get a handle on what the hell happened when there was an attempted insurrection and blood spilled in the Capitol building. Just, you know, some of the things that were going on uh, other than uh, a, a single vehicle toppling down a hillside with a very famous man in it. Now, I, in filling my time and deciding where my attention should go in the last few weeks, did happen upon the HBO documentary uh, titled Tiger. And I thought, well, watch it. My mother loves him, always has. I, I watched it. And I have to tell you, it, it gave me a, an appreciation for what this now man endured as a child. He, he didn't have a childhood. He had two stage parents, mostly his dad, but his mom complicit as well. And, you know, he was doing TV appearances at the age of two. So he was brought up like a lot of child stars, be they on film or on a golf course, um, to entertain and to be the best. And on top of it, his father, who you get to know, was nuts. I'm sorry, was nuts. And really thought and told him that Tiger was going to be like Mahatma Gandhi. Tiger was going to save the world. That's the kind, because he was a mixture of the world, ethnically, 
racially. And because of its extraordinary skill and his, his dazzling smile and his extraordinary athletic gift. And boy, you get a sense of how you end up with the mess that has been much of his life and the, the triumph as well. So when I heard this happen, my new sense of him, um, it touched me. It did. I thought, oh, my God, you know, how much, how much more is this guy supposed to take? But getting CNN's attention for 24, I mean, 24-7 is just unbelievable to me. I don't know. So. I do recommend that uh, if you have HBO, I think it's HBO, right? I do recommend that. I started watching last night uh, Allen versus Pharaoh, which is about, of course, Woody Allen and his alleged uh, uh, molestation of one of his daughters, if not two of his daughters, one of whom is now his wife. And uh, wow, that's a that's something as well. <laughs> Just saying, if you're looking for stuff, if you like biography, okay? That's all I'm saying. Um, okay, uh, now I have to get into something that I've been um, worrying about. You know, I share my worries with you. I'm sure you appreciate that immensely. Um, and it has to do with this new America, or I can hear all the black people saying, new America, welcome to our America. Okay, you're right. To this violent, uh, sort of threatening uh, America, America. Americans is what I'm talking about. And are, are so many Americans who are just flat out scary now. They're openly carrying weapons. They're saying they're in a war. They're talking in apocalyptic and, uh, and uh, yeah, militaristic manners. And, and they, they have, uh, you know, a, a former president who they still think is president and on and on. I'm talking about those guys. Okay, because as I've said, uh, I'm infinite. Of, they ain't going anywhere. They are not, and they are continuing to be, even without their leader in a in the White House. They are continuing to be nurtured and misinformed by the right-wing media universe, which is big, huge, with the aid, of course, of social media, and with the aid, and this is the biggie, of one of America's two major political parties. And so any Republican who is a Republican will be at this CPAC convention. Right this weekend, the exiled uh, cult leader uh, Trump will be there. God knows what uh, his bellicose uh, lying oration will be. But all of this is keeping these people, perhaps a third of the country, wrapped and is keeping them where the Trumps of the world, the Fox Newses of the world want them to be, which is in a state of constant agitation, rage, and sense of imminent loss of their standing and their country. 
So the fact that you have a big media universe, one of the major political parties, and exiled, still not ever conceding, uh, defeated president, all fanning this with the aid of the mainstream media, the CNNs of the world, who, well, are the proverbial rubberneckers. So I keep seeing stories that just blow me away at how prevalent uh, this kind of dangerous stuff is and how many people have succumbed to it and how they are terrorizing the citizenry. So I read, and the two stories I want to share with you are both out of New England. I'm not, you know, normally you wouldn't think of New England. They think of independent, uh, hardy folk. They tend to send uh, Democrats or relatively moderate or even independents to the Congress, right? But boy, they got their crazies, and boy, are they starting to act up. So first, I take you to Maine. And what's been happening in Maine is that a group called (laughs) Beacon for Sovereignty. Don't even ask me what the hell that's supposed to mean. Um, Has been openly with armed members trying to disrupt vaccination sites. Can you imagine? You finally got your appointment. You're going to get your vaccine. And you bump into a bunch of these crazy, large, white, knuckle-dragging idiots, and they're fired up. And they have reason to be fired up because they have bought into this, this, I guess, latest conspiracy theory that the government is injecting, uh, I don't know, the devil in the vaccine into you. And they believe that with the vaccine, the government is 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 trying to uh, commit genocide against us. Yeah, I'm not kidding you. That's what these guys think. And damn, because they see themselves as patriots, they're going to try to save their fellow Americans. And they're going to try to disrupt these government-run vaccinations that people are just like idiots willingly going into to have the devil put in them. There's a video of a woman who's with her young daughter. They're both wearing masks. And she's walking by these guys and they're screaming at her that she's a child abuser because her daughter is wearing a mask. Okay, that's just one. They have vowed spiritual war. Mm -hmm. So this, you know, again, there is a mass psychosis in this country. And in some ways, it scares me as much, if not more, than the pandemic. We got a vaccine for the pandemic. We have no such thing for this mass psychosis, which endangers us all. And then there was a story today. 
Oh my God. And this is out of Vermont. It's uh, Bernie's uh, stomping grounds. And, you know, see, Vermont, they sent Bernie Sanders to the Senate, right? They are a uh, known as a, again, what I said, sort of a independent, tough bunch. I mean, if you're going to engage in ascribing uh, a personality traits to uh, people who just happen to be living in the same uh, geographical area, which is a little dicey. But they have, the New York Times today has a long story about a little town in Vermont called Paulette. I mean, it's a little town, a few thousand, right? 1,400, that's all. Beautiful area. And some nutcase from New York State with a sketchy backstory bought up 30 acres in the town and transformed it into a training camp for militias a training camp for people who wanted to, uh, yeah, make sure that when things really came down, they would know how to protect themselves and their family. One of the closest neighbors, and it's a very rural area, so one of the closest neighbors uh, this family called the Tillanders were uh, a few years ago, this has been going on now for two or three years, a few years ago were sitting outside on a beautiful uh, evening on their back porch. And these are people, by the way, who belong to a sportsman club, who own guns, who enjoy target shooting. And they, I'll just quote them, Paul Tillander said, all of a sudden, we hear ARs, several ARs going off all at the same time, over and over and over. I mean, it, it's, it sounded like Vietnam. It sounded like a war zone. So people come up there and they enact battle scenarios. There are places set up to look like a suburban home that they can invade. There are large open spaces where they practice uh, vehicle assaults and carjacking. They even have like the, uh, a, sh a, a shipboard that look like, looks like a ship so that they can, you know, maybe know how to deal with uh, I, I don't <laughs> piracy on the high seas. I don't know. This nutcase who has created this lovely place uh, built it, and boy, the people are coming. They are coming to it. And the neighbors are getting scared, in part because Vermont has a very apparently onerous zoning law that if you want to build anything, you've got to jump through a lot of hoops and you have got to, you have, I'm sorry, I'm, this is one of the problems of being on a, never mind. Um, you have got to uh, get permit after permit after permit. This guy who created this uh, nirvana for lunatics never got a permit never got a permit for building the suburban house that gets attacked for the the ship that gets attacked for any of it i mean didn't get permission to have a business out there so the town residents who've always gotten along because they they obey the laws <laughs> they said hey this guy and you know there's these weird people coming and so they um, they tried to step in and they encountered something they'd never encountered. And that 
was a guy who said, I don't care what you're saying to me. I'm not going anywhere, okay? It's my Second Amendment right. I own this land. Blah, blah, blah. The state police have refused to step in. Law enforcement in all forms has refused when pressed to step in. And you know why? They're scared. Now, how often do we hear that now? Why did all those Republicans vote the way they did on impeachment or vote to still suggest that even after the siege, that the election was somehow corrupted because they feared, they feared Trump, they feared his supporters because they know, and after January 6th, everybody knows, these people are quite willing to use violence. And here's a place where they're being trained. And the cops, state level down to local level, are afraid to confront them because they've got more guns than the cops do. Here is one of the Tillenders again. Nobody wants to go in there. Everybody's afraid of them. We're we're pretty certain he has a big cache of heavy-duty weaponry and explosive material. And so this little town that always relied on people behaving in a neighborly fashion, complying with in a voluntary manner with, you know, here's how we do things. You want to build a chicken coop, you got to go get this permit. This guy builds a training place for patriots and nothing happens because the reality is there's no way to get him out of there without what another Waco and this place that he's created he called it Slate Ridge it has a yeah, Facebook page and other social media. And let me tell you what's on that. Scary stuff. Posts have called for the, quote, eradication of some of the neighbors. Have listed their, their home addresses. Somebody else said, we need an SUV to shoot up and then blow up. And they specified what they were looking for was a particular model and they had a picture there. It was the picture one of the neighbors had of the car they'd given to their teenage daughter. The feed published a photograph of the little town hall, this little wood frame structure that's been standing in this tiny little town since 1881. And it said under the picture, no alarm. No security cameras, single pane windows, no deadbolts, 30 to 40 minute police response time, dead zone for cell service, no safe room. And then it listed the name of the six people who work inside. So here you have an American town held in a state of terror by other armed Americans. And authorities unwilling to confront. This is 
the America that Donald Trump has unleashed. And none of us have ever seen anything like it. But what I said heading in, black people have seen this. Getting a sense of what it might have been like. I'm sure that town is white. All those good white Americans, American Gothic. And now they are feeling that same constant terror. Because these white, other white guys are acting up and feeling their oats and feeling threatened as even they threaten everybody else. Wow. So that's just two of the stories I came across, the armed anti-maskers and now this training facility that has terrorized an entire little town. And then we have, if I guess I saw a little of this before poor Tiger's news came out, um, we had that uh, hearing uh, about what the hell happened um, it, with Capitol Security on January 6th. And I didn't watch much of it, but I happened to be treated to a little bit from one of the more repulsive Republicans in the Senate. That would be Wisconsin's Ron Johnson. Oh, my God. See, now here's a guy who, you know, he himself doesn't seem scary to me. He leaves that to the people whose brains he infects, who who he continues with his cowardice to give aid and comfort to. So after all of these police officers are testifying, all of them, the former Senate, former House sergeant, sergeants at arms, uh, the, the Capitol Hill police, the D.C. police, and all unequivocally said to questions from the panel that this was an attack that had been planned and carried out by white supremacists and Trump supporters. And Johnson actually, <laughs> I, I, I shouldn't even give it, but I, I, it's, he said that they were fake Trump protesters. Can you imagine? So guys, I don't see how all of you who say, well, Biden's in, Trump's out, it'll die away eventually, blah, blah, blah. I don't see it. I don't see it. So I'm just here to tell you that uh, I think I said yesterday that January, I remember the question being asked on January 6th. Um, is what we have just seen, is it the end of something? You know, the last gasp of Trump? Is that the end of something? Or more sinisterly, was it just the beginning? And I have no doubt, oh, maybe 2% doubt, that it was just the beginning. And we will let down our, our guard at our own peril. To some emails, little Tony says, you and me both regarding Tiger. I could not comprehend this obsession with the accident. It was like an old bit for hours. Yeah. 
When I checked Twitter, we weren't the only ones complaining. Oh, really? That's good. I wanted to hear about the hearings that happened that morning. I turned it off the rest of the day. Don't get me wrong, right? I agree the same thing because I wish Tiger all the best. I do too. I really, my heart goes out to him. I mean, my God, poor soul. His life will never be the same. Little Tony says, it's like Uncle Dougie used to say, hey, it's all about selling soap. Yeah, well, that's not what they taught us in journalism school. I'm sorry. They told us it's about informing the public of things they need. Damn. And Brooke writes, I had the same reaction when I realized that CNN was going to focus solely on the Steiger Woods story. Oh, this is so funny. She says, Doug Hurth used to always say it's all about selling soap. Oh, God, Doug. 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 Gone but not forgotten, buddy. Brooke writes, you can't forget that when you're watching news. They will do anything to keep you from turning the channel. But what did it do? I turned the channel. I turned it off. Little Tony turned it off. I think they're kidding themselves a little bit. I suppose they know. Brooke says, I still maintain this is why Donald Trump won the election. I absolutely agree with you. It's why I said Jeff Zucker, uh, yeah, he's the one who made him. His every tweet was so outrageous that news outlets knew that they would attract and keep viewers. Every time he showed his his god-awful face and his uh, doughboy body, yeah, they, they, they were there. They were there. And as Brooke uh, rightly predicts, and this weekend it will be endless hours of Donald Trump at CPAC. And I have to tell you, that'll just be the beginning. Mm-hmm. We have a caller. Caller, go ahead, please. As usual, I forget the reason I called originally because he oh, talked about many on. things well, that enter my it, head. Write it down before you. <laughs> I, I did. I, I I did, but then I'm like, I only got a short period of time. I'm like, what's more prominent? Can I say, I think with what you're talking about, about like with Tiger Woods and the hearings and and um, and and what was going on in Maine and this guy buying 30 acres of land and these people at the hunting lodge or whatever the hell they're calling it and forming this militias. It's like a combination of illnesses in this country. We need distraction and we're feeling empty. So we're filling ourselves with shit. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. These people who are forming these militias, I don't think they have anything going on in their lives, so this is filling it. And and it's you know, and if it's negative energy or negative action, well damn it, it makes them feel like they're doing something with their I, I have to because I'll tell you Well, what, listen, I, Roger, it makes them feel like they have purpose and it makes them feel like they're patriots. And it makes them feel big and tough and they're answering the call and they're latter-day Paul Revere's and they are being told that that is true. They are being, as they said, as they were in the Capitol, Trump sent for us. The president sent for us. Wow. That's like, you know, Jesus talks to me and the president sends for me. I'm pretty important. What what did we used to do before Facebook and email uh, and you don't internet? <laughs> I, I, you don't I remember. You don't remember. I mean, I mean, people used to have full lives, and and it didn't mean that you're doing it on a, a huge level. I mean, can't be people be happy with just like helping out their their next their neighbors and raising 
kids or grandkids and and being good examples when did we have to like ratchet up our self-importance so much i don't know it's all part of the mediaized uh you know listen it's all part of everybody wanting to be somebody i don't know but boy has it brought us to a frightening pass really really I don't know, Roger. I got no. I got no answers. I'm just is, is, here scared. Let, let me ask you this. I mean, I, I know we're all frightened and everything, but um, in this day and age, do you and you know family and friends that you're you 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 communicate with, is there a sense of emptiness now? I mean, because of COVID, no. because of no, no. There's a sense of doom. I would fancy this. We were all living, you know, as you said, we were all living lives that were um, that were wonderful. I don't know, fine, you know, we were, yeah, we were living. We were relatively happy. I'm talking about my extended family and my friends. No, we didn't feel empty. I don't know. Well, I'm, I'm not saying before. I'm saying now. I mean, this like in comparison, way way our lives used to be compared to what we're witnessing now. How does that affect each and every one of us internally? Because right well, now, I feel like be, it, yeah, it can't be good, right? Listen, the, the, we've spent a year pretty much stuck in our homes. Most of us, many of us. Um, the, you know, we've forgotten what it's what our lives used to be like, and that fear is everywhere. The fear of uh, death, the fear of lo losing a loved one, and now the fear of losing our country. That's a lot of loss to be uh, fearing. And I'm sh I've been saying to everybody who will listen to me that I we're all going to have to be treated for PTSD when this thing's over. I mean, we are, we are, even if we're sitting quietly in our homes, a traumatized uh, people. Well, right. let, let, let just, just, just so you know, um, I have a physical scheduled with my doctor next week. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, cause I, I just, I think this is physically affecting me. This whole, this, all this well, past sure five is. years is just, has taken its toll on me. And one of the things I'm going to you know, talk to him about is like, I need, give me a list of therapists that you think are good, not just a list of therapists, because my, mine took off of Canada about two or three years ago. Um, and <laughs> I, I, hey, I got news for you. Getting a therapist now is no small accomplishment because they're booked from now until God knows when. People are desperate for therapy now. I don't, good luck. Good oh luck. yeah, I mean, between, between I the COVID, between coronavirus and the shit show that's been going on and continues, um, this is like kind of devastating. What kind of persons, what kind of soul, like good person, you know, what do they do to like come persevere through this um and i it, 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 that's got to be a unique well, we're individual. All doing, listen we're all doing it you're persevering in your way here you are you're forming <laughs> sentences you're talking you're going <laughs> to you're taking far. care of yourself you're going to get a physical you're still employed i mean no you are you're doing fine mm. You yeah. know, it's okay. the people with the guns and stuff. Those are the people that aren't doing fine. Yeah, but they're affecting the good people. Yes. They're making me very nervous. Hey, thanks for the call. Okay. All right. Okay. Bye. 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 It sort of puts me in mind of this scrap of poetry that I so loved when I first read it. And I had to have first read it back in I might the 60s, okay, not to date myself. But it was one of the first times I encountered poetry that was current. Uh, you know, I in high school, and I, I think this was in college when I 
first bumped into this little scrap. It was, you know, the poets were the poets, the English poets, marvelous poets. But contemporary poetry, I didn't know much about. And then I bumped into this one guy and I bought the book. Well, I'm not sure it was that book actually, but here's, it's just a scrap. Here's the scrap that to my, you know, 19 year old or 20 year old self was comforting because it reinforced what I newly out on my own into the world and seeing that it wasn't exactly what I'd been led to believe it was in the sheltered cocoon I'd spent my first 18 years in. Um, and here's the line. I love it. The world is a beautiful place to be born into. If you don't mind happiness, not always being so very much fun. That's the line. That's all it is. And that was like no other poetry I'd ever heard. The world is a beautiful place to be born into if you don't if you don't mind happiness not always being so very much fun. And I laughed and I thought, uh-huh. It was a little subversive, frankly. And that was from a poem by a guy named Lawrence Ferlinghetti. And I ran off and bought a book of his poetry. I still have it. And this is our obituary today, Lawrence Ferlinghetti. Dead at the age of 101. And he was writing right up until the end. And God bless him. I can't believe that that little, the way I was reminded of the poem is that in the large New York Times obituary, that is the thing that they pulled out. Although they pulled out more of it. I always just remembered that. The world is a beautiful place to be born into. If you don't mind happiness, not always being so very much fun. And then they have another little part of it. If you don't mind the touch of hell now and then just when everything is fine, because even in heaven, they don't sing all the time. That was a wonderful thing for me at a time in my life when I was, well, you know, these were the years when, frankly, other than this Trump era, those were the years that were most terrifying to many Americans. We're talking about the mid-60s. It was scary times. Political assassinations. There was some domestic terror going on. There were bombs going off. There were people in the streets. You remember? You remember? Martin Luther King killed. Robert Kennedy killed. The violence of this nation was on display. Vietnam it was something. So the world is a beautiful place to be born into. If you don't mind happiness, not always being so very much fun. He didn't consider himself that much of a poet. He was a bookstore owner. Yeah. City Light, City Lights Bookstore in San Francisco. And it is still there. And he thought of poetry as an insurgency as as something that moves things along, changes things. Okay. Lawrence Ferlinghetti. And then because of him, I started reading Ginsburg and then Corso. And man, that stuff, it holds up. If you ask me, I don't know that it's keeps, but it's, uh, well, it's good stuff. Uh, 
Barbara says, I felt sorry for Tiger Woods. Can't even have a serious car accident without, yeah, crazy coverage on national TV. Um, yes. You know, I thought of that. Can you imagine lives like that? I've been, you know, I don't read biography a lot, but as I said, so I watched the Tiger biography and now I'm watching this Woody Allen thing. And then I watched also uh, The Last Dance, which was about um, Michael Jordan. And when you see what America does, what we do to celebrities, and it's interesting because in America now, the, the, the people aspire to be, to being a celebrity, fame, fame is the biggest thing. And of course it comes with money usually. So those two things get wrapped up together, but none of them, once you achieve the kind of fame that a Michael Jordan or a Tiger Woods has, your life is in many ways ruined. Or if you're a Hollywood celebrity, your life is gone. It's not yours. You live in a, a state of, uh, you're imprisoned, right? I think it's pretty awful. And a lot of what's happened with Tiger is that it seems that after his big fall, I'm not talking about the accident, the sex stuff, the car accident, the opioid addiction, the losing, the surgeries, all of that stuff, he came back. And everybody who has seen him since says that he seems to have finally found peace, that he enjoys, he's not that... He, he never used to interact with the people on the courses or even the people he was playing. And now he does. The smile is there. He had finally gotten himself back into a good place. And then this happens, which is why you just feel sorry for him. I mean, you'd feel sorry for anybody who had this kind of a horrific accident. But um, no, your life gets taken from you. And the way that media does this is, first of all, here's what they love to do. And I mean, we've all seen it a hundred million times. They take a person and they build them up. Now the person, you know, ends up in their, in their, uh, targeted by them because the person is talented in some way, right? Uh, talented and or beautiful and or whatever, right? And so we, shower them with adulation and constant attention. Every word they say, every move they make, and we raise them up, up, up. We put them on covers of magazines. We, we do documentaries on them. We are freaked out if we ever encounter them because they stop being human. They become this thing, a commodity. And it is, with the law of supply and demand, the demand for a commodity of one is, it's unimaginable. And life, any semblance of normal life is gone. You have to live behind gates and guards. And within that little bubble, I suppose you can have a life. But after we bring them up and put them on those pedestals, then even like the, you know, the CNNs realize, well, this narrative has gotten a little stale. I mean, how much can we, you know, shower adulation on them enough already? Let's find something negative. And so they do. And then it becomes, let's take them back down. And it is done with a relish. And all the people who love seeing them brought high 
and to even worship them. Join the mob that delights in their fall. And this is American culture. And it's fed to us and enriches the hell out of media owners. Yeah. Which brings me to this. Don't have a lot of time, but today there's another congressional committee hearing. It won't get a lot of attention, I don't think, but it is uh, it is titled Fanning the Flames, Disinformation and Extremism in the Media. And this is <clears throat> uh, this is a hearing before the uh, House Energy and Commerce Committee. And what that committee did is they sent letters out to Comcast, AT&T, Spectrum, Dish, Verizon, all those people who carry <clears throat> who carry cable TV. And they also sent them to Apple, Google, Amazon, Roku, all of those. To the cable, the satellite, all the companies that disseminate media to us and who have done nothing in response to the disinformation that they have aired. Nothing. So that AT&T and Comcast and Dish and Verizon, they, they carry Newsmax which has been one of the biggest purveyors of uh, the election being stolen, which resulted in, of course, in death and an insurrection. They carry one American news network, also promoting all of these falsehoods. They carry Fox. Now, Congress has no real power to force them, these carriers, to drop certain networks. I brought this up uh, maybe a month, month ago, that you and I, if we you know, have a cable provider, we are helping subsidize Fox News and Newsmax. We're helping subsidize because they carry them and our money goes to them. And because these cable channels don't have, they aren't licensed by the FCC. So there's no federal regulation. So what the hell do you do? So this is a first step to bring these people forward and to say, and some of the questions they're planning on asking them, are you planning to continue carrying Newsmax and Fox and these purveyors of absolute false information that is helping to rip our country apart? Um, let us know. And if you are, why are you? Well, of course, I'll say First Amendment, First Amendment, First Amendment. They're also going to ask, what are you intending to do now that you know what has happened? Hmm? Did you take any steps prior to and following the election and the January 6th attacks? Did you do anything? No, no, no. And are you planning to continue to do nothing? No, no, no. So what they're doing with this hearing today is they're flushing these guys out, establishing a factual record, that the disinformation they put out on the election and on the pandemic literally kills people. And the only people who've been able to get at these purveyors of deathly falsehoods 
are these uh, private companies like Dominion who have who have sued them, scared the hell out of them, sued them. But the government doesn't have any way to get at them. And I wonder if this will get any coverage at all because Doc and Think, is CNN going to cover this? Maybe. Is Fox going to cover this? Well, maybe because they'll say, see, they're coming at us. They're going to stifle our free speech rights. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. But I wanted you to know that was happening. And just quickly get, I see we're out of time, but let me just get quickly some of your uh, emails in. Uh, Romy writes, we're all going to need existential therapy and social skills training. I absolutely agree with you. The right-wing nuts are fatalists by nature and training who do not believe in hope and are using the only skills they have, guns, bluster, and dogmatic faith. To expect them to become well-informed at this point is an act of radical optimism or delusion, I would add. We on the left must realize that they are doing the best they can. We need to reform America in a way that offers them a hope. Yeah. Well, that is true. I mean, they've been failed. They've been failed in many ways by, uh, it's always the Republicans, though. The, the Repo- Republicans uh, and their uh, war on poor people. their refusal to hold up kind of a, yeah, I mean, in other countries, people don't live with the despair that we live with here, that so many live with here, because they have governments that hold them up, that offer safety nets, and we don't. And we don't because of Republicans and the people who support them. It's a kind of mean-spirited, I don't know, it probably came over with the friggin' Puritans. It's a mean-spirited kind of cruel, just cruel as hell worldview. And it's a controlling, a dogmatic one. And it's an unforgiving one. Oh, Romy writes, our task will be not unlike that of a therapist, dealing with depressed or anxious clients who must gently guide, we must guide them to a future where they matter. Well, I think you're, you're, you're talking about policy then. You're talking about give them, um, give them a sense of hope again, that they, they're, that they can rise, rise. But a lot of this, you're, 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 you're Romy, you're, you're, you're pulling out the racial thing. And that's a huge part of it. You're pulling out the racial thing. There's nothing we could do for these people if what they really fear is that black, brown, other people who don't look like them or worship God differently or don't worship God at all or who, you know, love people of the same gender, that they are going to somehow supplant them. I don't know how. We tell them that is not going to happen. It is. So what you got going on here, besides what I know you're acknowledging, is this true white nationalistic fear. All their lives, they were told one thing, which gave them a sense of, I don't know, pride? They were told that no matter what, and no matter how hard things are for you, you're better than those people. And in every way, we will hold you up and show you that. There's nothing we can do about that. All right, and just one more. Uh, Beth writes, when Tiger came back and won the 19 Masters, 
Jim Nance and Nick Faldo had to bring up the affairs, the opioid addiction, blah, 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 rather than celebrating this amazing achievement. Compared to the 2020 Masters champ, Dustin Johnson, who was suspended twice in his year for cocaine use, and those two never brought that up once. Yeah. You know why? Because Dustin Johnson, even though golf aficionados, you know, know who he is and he's a celebrity to them, he's not known by one name, a single name, and his face is not recognizable all over the world, right? You take him up and you bring him down. I wish him all the best. Okay, guys, listen, um, I have to get this shot later today. And I don't know if it's possible there won't be a show tomorrow if I'm having, uh, you know, some people get a reaction where they're sick. And, and if I'm not feeling well, I might not be able to do the show tomorrow, but I'm intending to. Okay. I'm just telling you that. But if you tune in and there ain't nobody there, I'll be lying in my bed acting sick. Okay. <laughs> I hope I talk to you tomorrow. And um, otherwise, I'll see you Monday. Enjoy this, son. Wow. Bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.